0: This is the season of Advent. We are in a period known as the Second Advent. Elijah was in the season of the First Advent. Christ, Jesus Christ, had not yet come. We are waiting for Jesus Christ to come again. These are the days of Elijah. That's got to be our favorite song in this church. We sing it a lot. We sing it with great enthusiasm. We sing it with great passion. My hope is that by the end of my talk, we'll understand it a little bit even more clearly than perhaps we already do. And that we will be inspired to respond to the call that's found within it, that is its essence, really. The call <coughs> the call of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord, and these are the days of your servant Moses righteousness being restored. And though these days... Our days of great trials of famine and darkness and sword. Still, we are the voice in the desert calling, "Prepare ye the way of the Lord." You see, before God went silent for over four hundred years, long time ago, two thousand five hundred years ago, let's say, He spoke to Israel through the prophet Malachi. We talked about this last week. That prophecy, that last word before 450 years of silence, those words were largely a rebuke. God was saying to the people of Israel, stop doing this stuff that is against my will. You're rebelling rebelling against me. You need to turn around. And although it was a prophecy of rebuke, there was hidden within it, near the very end, a ray of hope. Which is always the case with God. <laughs> There's always hope. <clears throat> and that ray of hope were, was found in these words. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Malachi 4.5. And so when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're reading those, and, and, and you will find quite often the people that had been waiting for over 400 years start asking John the Baptist, start asking Jesus, are you the Elijah? Are you Elijah? It's because Malachi, before 400 years of silence, had said those very words, I will send the prophet Elijah. And so, there were Many, I'm sure, in Israel who had waited and longed and yearned and were keenly watching for the return of Elijah because they knew that that was significant in that it meant God would no longer be silent. There was hope The New Testament begins with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're kind of like side figures in the story of Christmas. They shouldn't be. (laughs) They should be front and center too. The New Testament begins with their story. (coughs) Zechariah and Elizabeth. Who had taken to heart those words, of Malachi because including the fact that Malachi said that God said through Malachi that Elijah would come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord he also said remember the law of my servant Moses and was suggesting that they would be faithful to God and so we find these words Luke writes about Zechariah and Elizabeth he says this about them Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So these were people that understood the rebuke that God gave through Malachi to the people of Israel. And they had decided in their hearts to be faithful to God. And they were anxious to hear or to see the coming of Elijah. The angel of the Lord broke God's silence and said to Zechariah, in Luke one we read these words. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This, of course, was John the Baptist. The silence of over 450 years, of four, over 400 years, was broken with the coming of John the Baptist. The return of Elijah. Jesus was unequivocal about John the Baptist's identity as Elijah. We read in Matthew 11, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, And he quotes from Malachi 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, hear that? And if you're willing to accept it, he said to his disciples, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus was unequivocal that John the Baptist was... Elijah, not the Elijah, but the second Elijah, if you will. Later on, after John the Baptist had been killed by Herod, Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. James and John and Peter were there. And it was like he, he glowed, and, and, and as that was going on, Elijah and Moses descended on the mountain. And he had conversation with them, and James and John and Peter are just blown away. After that, we see that Jesus says this. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Well, the teachers of the law are just quoting Malachi, that Elijah will come first. And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, including killing him, actually beheading him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. I will suffer at their hands as well. I'm going to be killed. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Malachi, when he was writing about this second Elijah who would come said that he would accomplish two things. First, in three one we read, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before, the, before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so the first thing he was to do, this second Elijah, of whom Malachi prophesied. It was to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming of Christ, the Messiah. In other words, he was going to usher in the end of the first advent, that season of waiting for the coming of Christ. So the second Elijah, John the Baptist, would bring to a close that first advent. But also, he would usher in the second advent, that period of time in which we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He says, or it is said in Malachi 4.5, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He comes to indicate the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then we read in the very first words of Mark. The beginning of the good news about jesus the messiah the son of god as it's written in isaiah the prophet i will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight paths for him and so john the baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole judean countryside and all the people of jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So what was the message of the second Elijah? What was the message of John the Baptist? He offered a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is how he prepared the way of the Lord. And people came in droves to him. There were people who recognized their sinfulness and wanted to repent, who wanted to confess that they were or had rebelled against the holy God. There were people who recognized that Israel had lost its way. There were people who just wanted to get it right with God, and so they came in droves, and it was (laughs) well-known Herod the king of Israel was so taken by what John the Baptist was doing that he thought it would be a great prize to offer his head to his wife. (coughs) No, not to his wife. To her daughter. Her daughter, his wife's daughter. And so, these people were keenly aware of their sinfulness. They were keenly aware of their need for a savior. And so they responded to the message of John, the Baptist. And he cried, repent, repent. With that comes the absolute knowledge. The definitive absolute that you'll be forgiven that you will experience grace that God is a God of love and and even though you know that you are a sinner you know that you need to repent you need to confess of your sinfulness Know without a doubt that you can be baptized you can be washed you can be cleaned and that was John the Baptist's whole ministry was a baptism of repentance. And that's why people came to him. John the Baptist was the second Elijah, not just because Malachi said so, not just because both Elijah and John the Baptist were prophets, interestingly and oddly, they both lived similar lives. They lived solitary, minimalistic lives in the wilderness. They were called apart. They even dressed similarly, interestingly enough. But why was John the Baptist identified with Elijah? Well, let's take a look at Elijah for a minute. Let's remind ourselves of what Elijah's job was, what Elijah had been called to do. And so you need to get some perspective. I like the way uh, this one commentary puts it. Elijah lived in a time when the foundations were being destroyed. Does anybody feel like the the foundations are being destroyed today? I feel that way. I feel like the foundations of the world are being destroyed. But Elijah lived at a time when the foundations were being destroyed. It was a time of spiritual apostasy and moral decay. I'm willing to bet that none of you have used the word apostasy this past week. (laughs) What does it mean? It means the abandonment or renunciation of a religious or political belief. If you abandon your faith and your religion, you're an apostate. Apostasy is abandoning truth or renouncing it. And so this is the time that Elijah lived in. To be exact, he lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, called Israel. (laughs) The southern kingdom was called Judah. And the northern kingdom had forsaken God, had left God. Ahab was the king. And he married not just a Jezebel, he married the Jezebel, from whom we have all these aspersions. Jezebel, who was a foreign queen and who worshipped a god known as Baal. This is Israel. The capital of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, was Samaria, and there Ahab set up a worship center to Ahab. These are Israelites who are worshipping the foreign god Ahab under the direction of Jezebel and her hundreds of priests. Elijah had what I would consider dubious honor of confronting Ahab, and he said, unless you turn away from this apostasy, you will not see rain in the northern kingdom. You'll see it again when I say it'll rain. And that, of course, would not Elijah speaking as much as God speaking. And so he spoke to Ahab and he said, repent. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from this untruth. And if you don't, there'll be a drought in the land. And people will die, and likely you will die, if you don't turn away from your foolishness. And then he ran for his life. (laughs) Wouldn't you? (laughs) He ran for his life, and was miraculously kept alive in the desert. And you can read about that at the end of 1 Kings, the beginning of 2 Kings. It's a fascinating story, the story of Elijah. But what was Elijah's message? This is it. Your hardship, this drought that you're experiencing is a direct result of your apostasy. Your abandoning of the true faith and the one true God. Repent before it's too late. That was Elijah's message. And so we have the first Elijah calling Israel, the northern kingdom, to repentance and warning him and them that there would be a drought that would last indefinitely unless they did. We have the second Elijah, John the Baptist, calling Israel to repentance. Why? because of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which we last week spelled out as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are living in the second advent. Christ will return. What does it mean for us the followers of Jesus Christ, to be living in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, when he comes, as we sing in that song, Days of Elijah, when he comes in the clouds, shining like the sun, it will be a great day of rejoicing, because we will know that the hardship of this life is over and we will spend eternity in the light. But for those who have willingly rebelled against the laws of God and against God and his perfection, it'll be a dreadful day. It'll be a great and dreadful day. Of the Lord, I want to suggest to you that we too, like Elijah one and Elijah two, live in a very dark age, and this should concern us. But these are the days of Elijah. What does that mean now these are the days of elijah what was the message of elijah it was a call to repentance it was a call to repentance so what does it mean to live in the light of the second coming to live in the days of elijah it means that yes We need to be people who love like Christ loves. We need to be compassionate. We need to be working for justice. We need to be people of hope and light in our world. But we also need to be clear that we are sinners who need salvation. And I feel Personally, and and I've struggled, and my spiritual advisors know this, how much I've struggled with this sermon. And it's finding that balance between telling people that they are at odds with their creator and a holy God and loving as Christ loves. But this is the road that we need to take. We have to not just emphasize the love of God. We also have to be clear that the second coming of Christ is imminent <laughs> could come at any time any time and we're not doing them a kindness or a love or a justice by taking out or... Nicing up the gospel. Elijah 1, repent. Elijah (laughs) 2, repent. You need to get right with God. This has to be part of the message. Repentance. These are the days of Elijah. We're living in the second advent. The king is returning. Christ will return. And we have to be clear. Titus, once again, I think wraps it up so neatly. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's good news, it's the gospel. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It strikes me that as we are loving but also clear that those who understand their sinfulness will not reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, but accept it. But those who will not accept that they are sinners will not accept that they have violated the law of God and rejected the holy God. They will hate us. (laughs) When you read about the end times, and we can have a debate about whether these are the end times, I personally believe we are living in the end times. When you look at it, it says that we will be killed. those people that are nice and doing good things in the community and running a Thanksgiving dinner for, for, for poor folks and you know and having nice Christmas musicals that spread the good news of Jesus Christ why in the world would they be killed? I'll tell you why they'll be killed. I tell you why we would be killed because we'll say the word sin, And we'll tell the truth that people need a Savior and that we are sinful. And people won't like that. Many people will. Many people will say, yeah, I get it. I appreciate that. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Sign me up. But many won't. And they'll say, don't you dare tell me that I'm a sinner. Who are you? And the end times, we'll see many Christians persecuted because of that. So these are the days of Elijah. <laughs> these are the days of Elijah. Love, justice. Love, sin, just to be <coughs> reconciled. Confession. Making things right with the Holy God. That has to be part of the message. Or we're only giving part of the message that Elijah gave, John the Baptist gave, and of course Jesus Christ himself gave. Remember the the woman caught in adultery? Actually framed in adultery? I'm not going to condemn you. He didn't say it but he could have said it I love you was that the end of it no he said go and leave your sinful life so that's right dear dear Heavenly father we thank you so much that um, you love us as much as you do that you would come to earth that you would die for us you would, you, you would take our penalty for for our sinfulness, Uh, expresses your love like nothing else could. Lord, we are living in a world that it seems is increasingly resistant to the idea of sin and sinfulness and clearly rejecting you. We know that. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that as your ambassadors, as your salt and light in this world, that yes, that we would love as you love. But we'd also be clear that it was our sins that put you on the cross. And that sin needs to be forgiven.